It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings, to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Keith Arthur, captain of the Strange Boat podcast. I select my crew carefully using all kinds of parameters, and on this cruise, I'm joined by Simon Hartop, who can talk about two of my favourite subjects fishing and music. We'll concentrate on the fishing on this trip. Hello, Simon, how are you, mate? Welcome aboard. Hello, Keith, good to be with you after all this time. Yeah, yeah, it, it, on, on two counts. It's taken us a little while to get together this evening, and a long time, three counts actually. I've not seen you for ages. Uh, it's taken, there's been a bit of um, tech um, issue this evening, and we were supposed to have done this. You were going to be my first ever recording, and then circumstances changed for both right. of us. And uh, yeah, and, and anyway, we're here now, so we can get on and enjoy ourselves. Um, and, and we're talking about meeting now. I'm pretty sure the first time you met up face to face was probably in Jim Rawcliffe's old stinky um, tails up. Boiling manufacturing factory, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, God, that, how long ago was that? That's a long time ago, isn't it? Oh, it's it's I think over twenty years. It must be because um, I mean that. When did I catch that comment out there? The first time I had that, I thought like, I had a few times was ninety eight. So um, getting on that way. 
probably then, yeah, it's, it's going to be over 20 years. Um, but there's, uh, there's been a, a lot of water passed through uh, Teddington Lock since then, hasn't there? Um, yeah. um, um, you mentioned Thames Cup. And of course, we got to talking about Thames Cup then. And I only knew by reputation, mostly John Guards. And um, you, you and John particularly inspired me to have a go at fishing for myself. But, but were they your main target at the time? They were, and they became my main target because I had a house uh, whilst I was at university next to the River Crane as it goes into the Thames uh, at the marina down there, you know? Yeah. And um, when I got into university, one of the prerequisites that I, I wanted fishing nearby, and I knew the Colm Valley was nearby, and I knew I could get to it by bus and stuff, so that was near enough for me. But when I saw the prospectus for the college and it had a picture of the Thames on the cover at Richmond Lock, I thought, well... That's perfect. But when I got down, it was on the high, it was on a seven metre tide and it was massive. But even the marina looked tiny. And I just thought, oh, you know, I was really, I used to fish in the River Blind and the Leem and, you know, the smaller rivers like the Colm. So it, it, it blew me away, really. I just thought, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, um, so it was about five years before I actually fished it. And I, I got living in the house next to the crane. And one um, summer morning I went out there as a, on a dropping tide and there was about 20 carp in the back garden uh, all between about sort of £10 and about £25 so I ran and got a rod and a bit of bread and I hooked one there and it, it, it shot up towards Twickenham and I managed to get it all the way back and I've got a picture of it next to my, ki- uh, my kitchen and, um, and, I, and that was the first one I caught so I got my waders on went down the river and, and at, the, um, at the mouth of the crane there as it went into the river there was just fish everywhere and that's when it became a lot smaller Right away, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to catch them. It was something really to start with, and then of course, I remembered a friend of mine was living on that particular marina. He had a boat on the outermost side of it, uh, facing the main part of the river. And I sort of went down and said, uh, "I still see Adam, by the way. He still lives down there, but not on the marina. He lives on the bank side now." And I said, uh, "Do you mind if I come and have a, have a fish off your boat?" And he, he must have just thought, "Oh yeah, you know." Any, any time you like, mate, you know, might pop down in August, but, you know, during the summer holidays and the next morning I was there. So, um, so that's how it really started, you know, and I, I um, had quite a few down there. It, it's incredible, really, that I've noticed, I've seen um, carp shoaling on the tidal Thames and it's not necessarily, they do that anywhere else. I mean, I've, I've got to say that in, inspired by, I said by you and Gardy, I've been and fished a couple of, couple of spots for them and... and Sorry, yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you that I mean, I, when I caught that 31, um, I mean, they're, they're a rare thing, a 30-pound Thames, they're still a, a rare fish, aren't they? But they were yeah. really rare in those days. And the following, I think it was about a week later, or it seemed like the next day, but I think that's a passage of time. And uh, it makes me a funny story. I saw this 42-inch net waving around on the bank whilst I was out there baiting up. I thought, it was another car panel. I couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen one. You know, and um, and I got got drug myself up the bank, and it was John. Yeah, and uh, that was I, I threw a sick off work that day because I just couldn't bear to leave him after <laughs> meeting a kindred spirit. You know, and uh, yeah. we became very good friends from that day on. You know, that's how we met. That was probably after he caught the one that's in Terry's book, the thirty-seven it, at Marble. It was it was literally the year after, so he yeah. was obviously extremely keen to find out where this usurper had had a thirty-pound comment. <laughs> funny enough, when I caught that fish again, which was six six years later, uh, in July, two weeks before the big, big pollution that we got, unfortunately, which I don't think killed any carp, lots of silvers, lots of perps, uh, but it displaced Millions of flounders. Yes, yeah, very much so. Um, but uh, 
when when I caught that backfish again at 38 pounds, uh, I mean, that's a big story in itself, but I literally got it in the landing net and I, I was at the bottom of the steps. So I was shaking all over, it was covered in mud and the phone went and I picked the phone up and it went, it's John man fishing. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I've got a massive, <laughs> literally just got a massive comment, you know, and I broke his record. <laughs> that was 38, uh, wasn't it? 38 pounds too, yeah. I think it was on its way, sort of thing. But uh, yeah, a lot of all, all their catches incidentally were between Richmond Lock and Teddington. Yeah. So I think that uh, that pollution had displaced those carp from there. Yeah. Uh, I have seen was... fish down there since, but only oh, yeah. only really relatively recently, you know. Yeah, that was July two thousand and seven. I think the big pollution, wasn't it? It was two thousand and four, Ma- believe it or not. Oh, was it? It was. It was. It was. It was. Um, it was only two weeks after I caught that fish. Mm. And strangely, it was also the same. Uh, it was the same season that I caught that record perch on the very last day of the season. So um, you know, as far up as Teddington Lock itself, that pollution hadn't quite got that that distance. Yeah, because of the tides, you know, it kept. It, unfortunately, it kept it back probably around the Twickenham area. I'd, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, because you're not. Um... You're not a ham, I oh, you as John likes to call us people that live in ham, and you're not even a, you're not even a Surrey person originally. Oh, you're from the Midlands, aren't you? I'm a, I'm a Conventrian. Yeah, yeah, I'm from Coventry. So I've been here though now long five years longer than I lived in Coventry. Really? Um, as, a, as, a, as a as a growing up kid, yeah. So um, I do I do feel like this is my home now. I have to say because it's out it's out that's in um, the life that I had there, but I'm still very closely tied to. Warwickshire, I miss it. You know, I, I take the dog to Mosterby Park most days, but that little tiny bit of um, countryside, for want of a better word, around the lake now, which you can walk around, is very similar to the nuts and crannies that I grew up with. So it's like yeah. a little kind of my cosmo of uh, like a bit of a safety net for me, you know. But I do love it around here, I do. It's, uh, it's uh, I know when the stadium is on site, I think. You're not quite native yet because you said outlasted and it should be outlasted, of course. We all know that. <laughs> That's not. I've got kids that say that. They shout out wrong when I put it. I say things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky events, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a teacher, aren't you? Now, I mean, left university, I am. you teach. And what do you teach? Yes, I, am. I teach design. Um, I've taught special needs kids, just to, um, you know, all sorts of things. I've taught business studies, art, you know, quite a range of things. But I'm, but I'm, I'm actually teaching design again now, and I'm. I'm taking on computer studies in uh, actually tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's can, a kind of like, you know what I'm like, Keith, I, can you do that? Yeah, yeah, I'll have a go at that. And I'm like, <laughs> but I think it'll be all right. It's year seven. How hard can it be? Well, the way we're going tonight, you do well to come around here on my own. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, you come from West Midlands. Did you start your fishing around there? I did. I fished with Coventry boys when I was growing up. I'm like, very, very lucky because... Uh, my dad was a fantastic float angler and oh, yeah. fished with Billy Lane, fished with Billy Lane wow. a great deal. Yeah. Uh, knew, his, knew his stuff, my dad, you know, and um, even Billy Lane said he'd never seen a guy put a stick float through a river like my dad. So a big oh. accolade for someone like him. Yeah, it's, yeah. And we, yeah, and he, my dad was cost specimen group as well. So he was, 
you know, he was he was he was up there. He's one of the best owners I've ever met. He's a definite natural, you know. Mm. Mm. So when did you you sort of switch from maggot drowning to to carp fishing, or was it a gradual process? Uh, I suppose. I mean, when I was let's see, so I I was kind of still float fishing a lot, or, or fishing anywhere I could go. Uh, on a bicycle, you know, or with my dad if he took to Coombe yeah. and he was, you know, breeding fish or whatever, or Boddington, if you know Boddington Reservoir. Yeah, I do know, but um, it was stopped by a cart by the British Waterways Board some years ago. It was one of those in the, the same as Drayton, which used to call Daventry Reservoir. Boddington was yeah, one of that, That's right. I mean, in the seven, late 70s and 80s, it was a, it was very much a, a kind of a, if you know what you're doing, reservoir. You know, if you knew how to catch big bream or pike yeah. or... There were a few carp in there, but not many. A bit like same as Drake, like exactly the same. Exactly yeah, uh, and Classicut was another one that yeah. did the same thing too. Earlswood. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, Birmingham. Yeah. Um, so I, I just kind of, um, I, I think I, I, I came to carp fishing uh, when it was just, it was still in its infancy in terms of the commercialisation of it. It just didn't have anything. So um, I remember going to, I remember going from. Lane is, or Lanes, uh, we used to call it Lanes, but Lanes, to Andy Barker's, because he was the only one who started to stock um, Northwestern rods, um, hot tonics, all that kind of thing, or Bob Frost in Leamington. Yeah. You know, and, it, and it became this big, our nearest sort of serious fishery, if you like, was when it was uh, Simon's Fishery, which was part of the Packington State. Mm-hmm. So I started fishing that when I was 15, and then when I was 16, I got my first season ticket. And I just had a ramshackle of stuff, you know. I had flat FG code buzz bars, no, no optonics, no colours, no powder coated bank sticks, <laughs> nothing like that. I had green, those green bank sticks were just, were just an extendable with a brass ferrule at the top, yeah. Then, yeah. And my dad had given me, you know, he used to use them like for sticking his key net and all that kind of stuff. I don't even get my hands on stones on the spools and uh, with plates, and uh, which sounds romantic, but that's what my dad told me to do. I always remember it because the first night I did, when I was on my own, my dad said, have you got any blankets? And I said, no, no, I'll be, I'll be all right. And I just got a pink sun lounger, uh, but it was all springs that. It's like a fume, but a really horrible, weighed about 400 pounds, you know. And I got a bivy that I'd made out of a load of tarpaulin and made and nicked from a, uh, a capsule depot. And it stunk a tar. So if you win it for more than five minutes, you just smell like you've been tarred and feathered. It weighed a ton. And it was just draped over the top. We just cut a circle in a strip and just stitched it around with these great big darning needles. And uh, <laughs> I'm just about to get this bed chair behind it because it's monstrous. And I said to my dad, no, I'll be all right, Dad, I don't need any black. And he knew. And I froze my proverbials. Right. And I, I always remember because I had one of them happy hooker Nash sacks. And when it oh, yeah. in the morning, I just had the tumble up to my neck. It's a bit too sticking out. And I was just like this. And he, and he just had an hour for the blankets and he just ta- he just taught me a lesson he just threw me he just won't do that again will you yeah because he'd been yeah. fishing hardwick and you know what we call the whitney pools oh yeah uh yeah which is last of the leaners in tales second book a caravan part one you know behind manner and all that different yeah different that's linear you're talking about no just to clarify for people that won't know the old names it's the linear fisheries yeah yeah, this well, Whitney Lake is behind Linear. It's, right, yeah. um, it's a caravan park lake. It used to be 20 quid a year. I fished it in 1990, during the 1990 World Cup because I think someone had smashed the granny out of Orchid and it had sold out. We couldn't believe it. Well, actually, not sold out. It, it, it was full. 
So I'd gone from having tours on Orkney Bay, the Dorchester's port, before Paul Bray got it, which is before Marsh Prattley. So it was still on the Amy Roadstone book. It was rock hard. Yeah. And I think it was Damien Parker or Brian Parker, one of those guys, anyway, a Cotswold Bates guy. And he, he had the, he was one of the first guys to put loads of bait because he had it at his, at his disposal and he, he smashed it to pieces. So we got down there, my, uh, my friend Guy and I, on there in like well, the 15th of June and it was smashed out. We couldn't believe it. So um, I said, my dad used to fish this lake down here. And after ages, we actually drove into the linear fisheries, but it wasn't a fishery. It was just a mm. load of lake. Look, beautiful. No one was, there was no fishing on there at that time. So we realised that wasn't it. And um, eventually we just found this caravan park and we thought this has to be it. My dad told me a story of a lunatic that lived on an island, um, can't remember his name, and I've written about it, subsurface, I interviewed him about it. Absolute lunatic, you know, shotgun merch. Not not violent, but just nuts. You know, he'd, yeah. he'd come out and he, he confiscated my dad's tackle once because he, he, he didn't believe he got up. permit. And uh, my dad was heartbroken, you know, and he, he, he came back, the, I think, a few days later and there used to be a floating clubhouse on there as well, which was absolutely just, just a minefield of Jordan World Cup, especially. I remember watching Cameroon and England, and uh, it was red hot. We've got Stellars, you know, there was massive chumps because the wind rush went round it, and it flitted. Yeah. I think it's where Peter Stone had caught his big chub from years before. I mean, my dad knew <laughs> Pete quite well. And, uh, yeah. and I was catching chub. The biggest one I had was four, I'm going to say 4'12". Stick float, 11 pound steel, <laughs> six, size six or one and three quarter tricaster. That's all I had. And I had about, I think I had about 10 or 12 chub up to 412, a load of roach, a tench. It was just that kind of like, um, it was easy fishing. I mean, but there were some really big ones there. And uh, so that's where we ended up. Uh, but that's, that's my dad fished that in 1972 and he had a 19 pound carp out there, which was the then cost specimen group record, club record. And then it was beaten by a tench angler fishing Clatica by the 27. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) people that sort of fish for carp these days, as against possibly carp anglers, don't realize how amazingly quickly, all right, we're talking 50 years, aren't we? 1972, it's virtually 50 years, but how quickly we go. I remember I was working in a tackle shop, so it would have been around about the late 70s when Jerry Savage became the first man to catch 100 doubles. Right, now, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, there are match anglers now catch 100 doubles in a season. Never mind about specimen hunters, you know. But, but, and, and undoubtedly, there are people catch 120s in, in, in a couple of months. It, it's, it's just blown. Every, everything's blown out of proportion. And obviously, you know, people blame climate change, but it's improved stock. It's more stock. It's better food great bait you know we feed the carp up to make them bigger and then catch them when they're when they're enormous and and it, but it's just thinking back to the you know say 19 pound it was a huge fish in 1972 it was monstrous it was a lily and um, yeah. strangely enough right so you couldn't script it really i got a picture of a chap called paddy webb i think and it was oxfordshire's first 40 out of this lake same place i remember paddy webb. Webb. he was a very well-known angler paddy webb yeah, 20 years ago, maybe. Anyway, I managed to get a photograph of him for subsurface because we couldn't find the one on the day. It's such a shame. Black and white free, all long hair, woolly hat, big jumper. This amazing fish, you know, it just stole me as a kid. So I thought, and, but like, as soon as I get old enough, I want some of that. And um, and this fish that Paddy caught at £40 is the same fish my dad had at £90. 
I took it to the and he went, that's the one I asked, you know, and he knew it, and he described it to a team before I showed him the picture. So it's just, it, was, it sounds a bit romantic, but we're, we're 99% sure it was the same fish Dad caught all those yeah. years ago. But um, to go back to the, the maggot drowning thing, I knew I wanted to go carp fishing. It's, it's that thing about being a kid, that fish is huge, I want to, you know, I want some of that. But um, actually, you know, I still fish, I still float fish. I never, ever lost that um, kind of joy. It's one or two days of uh, float fishing, whether it's a still water or a, or a river. You yeah. just love the finesse. Uh, you don't yeah. have any finesse in carp fishing. It's anything but finesse. It's mm. more craft, undeniably, depending on where you fish. At the moment, I'm fishing. Uh, a, a, it's <laughs> it's one of my masochistic lakes, I've, I've called it. You know, it's 40 acres. It's gene cleared. No one knows how many fish have been there, but I've had everything from 9 to 20. I've done 12 nights so far, which is nothing, but two days a week, that's... It's over a large amount, so, you know, baiting up a lot, but nothing. So it suits me perfect. There's no one there, you know, more importantly. But um, but I had two days on the Thames last week, predator fishing. Uh, a friend of mine bought me a bait casting rod and then laws. And he gave me the reel first. He bought me the reel the Christmas before last. And, uh, and I just looked at it and I thought, how the hell does that work? You know, you know, the thumb to release the spool and the tension thing for the weight of yeah. the lure. On top of the rod, winding with the wrong hand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then... Having the law a foot from the tip and cast it in one hand, it was different altogether. But um, we had a few. Like my, my friend lost a good pike in, in, uh, in the weir, one of the weirs. But it was just lovely to be on the river again. You know, and as you know yourself, like once I've got uh, this side of the year over, I'm chub fishing. Mm. You know, but by and large, because of work, I'm always tip fishing, but I do love watching the tip go around. Yeah. It's yeah. so addictive. I mean, I, I fished the calm last winter and had some good ones. I think six ten was the best one I had, but there was three different sevens from that stretch last year. But the crayfish were horrendous. I mean, like yeah. two crayfish yeah. on the hook bait at once on cheese plates yeah. in in January. You know, you're thinking there's a lot of crayfish, but yeah. Uh, ironically, that's one of the worst crayfish spots on the river. But because of that, I think that's where the fish are bigger. Mm. So it's just a, a bit of a kind of a lottery. But you know, we'll see. I'll have another go this year and see, see how it goes. Yeah, there'll be a couple of reasons for that as well with a crayfish. I guess that, first of all, they're a nice high-protein meal for chub. And secondly, they'll eradicate lots of spawn and fry. So the numbers of fish will keep down, which will enable those that are left to get bigger. And those that get big enough will then eat, eat crayfish to make them bigger still. So it's, it's like a, a, a double whammy. And I, I know quite, and it's quite sad, really, I know anglers that have actually moved crayfish into waters to do exactly that service, which is quite foolhardy because eventually they, they will. Well, I've, I've got this school to talk about that, but anyway, it, it, it's a bit crazy that, that people do that kind of stuff. But then again, you know, people move Xander and Barbel and God knows what else. But that, that's and, and carp. We know many a wandering carp, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that was just kind of the, the, an accepted thing, wasn't it, in the 80s? And liberating. Yeah, in a lot of counties, it, was, it just happened, didn't it? No one ever talks yeah. about the fact that. You know, Basil and Heather and all, all that lot, you know, came from all over the place. You know? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but that was just, but, you know, thank God that those sort of anglers, you know, like Peters and, you know, um, uh, and Kenny and all that had that foresight because yeah. that created decades of famous fishing stories, didn't it, really, and friendships. So and in those days when it wasn't so popular and, and you could get, a, not get away with it, but I mean, get away with it in terms of the, sort of disease aspect, if you like. I mean, now it's so mm. dangerous because there's so many more and so many constraints and 
this, that, and the other. But I think in those days when it was it was a very underground thing, wasn't it? To go car yeah. fishing. I mean, it, you know, you had to kind of earn your stripes for anyone ever talked to you. Mm-hmm. That's I suppose the history aspects of it as well as the fishing aspect, you know. Of course, You've just mentioned underground there, and and that was probably the word I was striving for when I was going to describe you as an angler, because in football terms, you'll be described as a player's player, and you're a carp angler's angler, aren't you? You're an angler's angler. I don't read about you every week in Angling Times. I know you've you've written some stuff in Specialist Carp magazines, but you're never, I don't think you're ever going to see on on the headline, Simon Hartop has big hit at Linear. Yeah, I'd be very I'd, boring. I'd, <laughs> yeah, I'd, a boring magazine if it was just about me because well, there'd be nothing in it. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and that, that's the thing because you know I mentioned right at the very start the special fish of the Thames, and and a six pound carp out of the Thames is a special fish. Every I've caught some real. I don't, you know me. I, I, I my idea, I, and I carp fish on the Thames occasionally, but I fish with one rod and and I fish a swim, um, and when I catch a carp, I go home. I, I'm, I'm, I've never caught a carp in darkness because I don't yeah. fish when it's dark. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, like a two-hour bloke, see if I can catch one. And if I don't, then I don't. And, you know, I've caught the odd barbel doing it. I've caught the odd carp. I've never caught a big carp out of the Thames. I've, I've not. I've come close, but I've not had a 20. But but every one of them is unique. And I caught one one day in, in, in Keith Clark's boat that was one of the strangest fish I've ever seen. It was a bit like a ghost. It was a bit of a dink. You know, it was it was... Almost, it wasn't a grass carp, but it was almost chubby grass carp. Definitely wild. It looked like it spent its life running at the, in a tenant lock and you know, into the gates itself. And it, it, it took me all over the float fishing, float fishing river. It took me all over the flipping river. And, and I think it was £6.11. It, but it was, you know, it was a great fish. And, and, and Absolutely. Even though, and that's a, you couldn't have described that with any more enthusiasm if it was three times bigger, could you? No, 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 no. It's not about that, like you say. No. It's about getting one out of there. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's, you, you go to places. I, I remember reading, or oh, well, no, I, I probably didn't read. If I did read, it was on an email or a text. Probably a text might be an email from Guardian, will it? It'll be a text or a WhatsApp from probably before WhatsApp was invented. Simon's had a 46 2. And I think you caught it. Yeah, you caught it from a secret venue, and it was as far as you knew an uncaught fish. It was, although it was caught by a friend of mine at thirty-two pounds uh, some eight years before, and it lived in a different lake, <laughs> but not far away next to it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been moved or it's got you know, so um, not not uncaught, unknown. Uh, yeah, unknown. Particularly in that area, anyway. But yeah. the, well, it was it was it was quite unknown until <laughs> you phoned me up. And uh, do you remember this? Because uh, this is funny. Because so I texted everybody that I thought would be interested. So that was you, Gardy, my friend Matthew Beddoes in, in Birmingham, uh, Pete Springgate. Uh, I can't remember who else, but the ones that knew what I was up to and how much I've been struggling to catch this bloody thing. So later on that day. I can't remember who it was. Someone went round Corder Lake and Pete was there and he said, oh, your mate's had that fish, isn't he? And Pete went, how do you bloody know about that, you know? And, uh, and he goes, well, he was on the radio. It was like, you wouldn't do that, you know? And do you remember when you phoned me, I was I was all, I was all over the place when I was like, I don't know yeah. what, I was five in the morning, quarter six in the morning. Yeah. And I just got home, you know, and um, 
and uh, and uh, you kept saying things like, oh, "I'm not being there, Si." I know, and uh, or you said this, and so you know, you shouldn't really, you know, like, try not to sort of swear or blaspheme. I was like, "What are you talking about?" And it was about two minutes before I clicked. And I said, "Oh, I'm, is this live?" And you went, "Yeah." yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got that everywhere, and you even realised. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that was so yeah, a real comedy moment. That. But we never give the game away. No, absolutely. Exactly. I mean, God, I had to, that. I didn't realise even in. So what we're we talking now? Twelve years ago, even twelve years ago, I didn't realise how much of a fraud that would cause because I thought those kind of captures were long gone. Yeah. You know. I mean, when I start, I mean, you 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 got to say like through the eighties and. Most of the 90s, I could probably name every 40 crown fish in the country. Yeah. And then it just went, oh, it got to such an extent where it's like doing a jigsaw or a plate of beans. I just couldn't be arsed anymore. I couldn't, couldn't keep up with it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it, 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 you know, it, it was, it wasn't, you know, it was underground in those days because it was just, it just, that's, that's what car fishing was, wasn't it? Mm. Now it's anything but, I mean, arguably it's the most popular form of fishing in the country. If not in Europe, so uh, I mean I know the match seems quite big still, but it's no. You've only got to look no. at the amount of the amount of people that follow Monster Cart or Instagram accounts yeah. like Daryl. They're all incredible anglers. No, we need a number of people that target carp, and I'm not talking about you know dedicated nutcase carp anglers like you and Sir Pete and, and and that lot. I'm talking about people whose whole means of going fishing is to catch carp whether they've yeah. just started and got a couple of, you know, NTG rigs or NGT, whatever it's called, and, and, and those kind of things, but they go to catch carp. So, yes, you're right. It is it, far and away the most popular form of, of, of course fishing in the country, without any shadow of a doubt, and, and probably Europe as well. You know, that's, what, uh, that's why the, the underground thing has become more forefront to me, because that's what I started with. I haven't decided I'm going to be underground, I'm going to be... Retro, I'm going to be cult, I'm going to do all that. That is a bit of a thing. Yeah. Now, whether that's our fault through soft service or not, I don't really know. But there's nothing wrong with it, but I was always like that, you know. So I kind of come, started off that way and then gone through this massive hurricane. Yeah. And I just try to do anything I can now to keep just out of the, the main yeah. sort of breeze, if you like, But uh, which is getting harder and harder to do. But having said that, if I just went cart fish for nothing else, I, it'd be, I think it'd be even harder. You know, oh, whilst I, I don't blame anyone for just wanting to go carp fishing, good luck to you, especially if you love it, great. But I just, I can't imagine not fishing for other species, you know, I've always been the same. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm very fortunate, again, that I had a dad that, um, that, that was exactly the same. You know, he started off match fishing, then he did a bit of bream fishing, then he got mad, mad on carp fishing, and it was really, I mean, all this fish chat with him on site to all the andors, you know, um, 10 pound Maxima and I can't remember what rods he had. I think they were SS6s or something. Yeah. 15, 1534 was the O'Leon door number, or 1535 if you wanted the spade end. And the SS6s, the, yeah. Northwestern Blanks SS6s, I, I couldn't tell you how many of those I made up when I worked in Lady Well Tackle in, in, in South East London, but it was a lot. Two and a quarters, weren't there? Two and a quarters. And I had like the well, first night was Pound and three quarters they were. Oh. Right, because yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the SS6As then, I think. Yeah, that, that's right. They were heavy. But, I mean, I used to make SS6s into Thames feeder rods. Right. At one time. The first one I had was, I had an SS4, was my first, yeah. which was a 10 foot two. 
And yeah. like, I was so proud of it. Um, Andy, not Andy Barker, Clive Good made it up for me. He worked for Andy Barker. Yeah. And I always remember it was Jet Black, Cool Candle, and Maroon Whips with Fuji yeah. Eyes, you know? Yeah. And then I had two SS5s, which are the 11 foot twos of Bob uh, Moritz. Yeah. Uh, again, all the all the rods out of order were from, and they were always blank. Was through Bob Morris in was it not North Norwich or somewhere? No. And was it in Kent, Bob Morris? Think so long ago. Yes, you're absolutely right. He was. He was in yeah. Kent. You're absolutely right. And, um, and then I take I rush the blanks down to Andy Barker's and Clive Boot uh, Good to make for me. I'm just constantly out the bags in my bedroom when I wasn't fishing because they were just like they're my excellent. You know, they were, I was yeah. so proud of them. But, you know, you pick up a run like that now, if you look like a two-pound road ship, go through to the rear. Like, well, I don't know how we ever landed any problems, to be honest. Well, no, I, I remember when Divers' heaviest rod, I was working for Diver, and I left them in 1995 when their heaviest rod was the two and three-quarter. And that was a beast. Wow. It was a two-piece, two and three-quarter. It was a three-piece, a three-piece two and a half, and a, and a, uh, a two-piece, two, two, two and a quarter, and a pound and three-quarters. And they were the ones, yeah. And, and you know, because... In those days, the heaviest line you'd use would be 11-pound silk cast. That was the line everybody used. And, and, and now, you know, people use 11-pound silk cast bream fishing, tench fishing, you know, it, or not 11-pound silk cast necessarily, but 11-pound mono. And, and, and carp fishing is, is you've got to use 20. You know, it's abrasion. Personally, I, I, I think it's got out of that. Yeah. I mean, I know fish got bigger, so, okay, there's a bit of leeway there. But what's got out of hand is the lack of balanced tackle. Yes. And I took a couple of brothers out pike fishing on the on the Thames a few winters ago. And they mailed me later on in the evening and said, what was that rod we use? It's absolutely beautiful. And these are your, you know, three pound testers, three and a half tests, big pit reels, all the rest of it, which we all use. And um, and I said it was a it was a 12 foot one and three quarter John Wilson Abram rod, and I just couldn't believe it. Because it was balanced for six pound line, yeah, had a brilliant, brilliant day, you know, oh, catching yeah. pike up to sort of, I don't know, like 40, 50 pound, yeah. And uh, and we're all guilty of it because trends kind of move you that way, don't they? The way that yeah. we all get sucked in, we're anglers, you know, it's it's the same. I, I can't just buy a cent opinion, you know, it's got to be amazing, you know. I know that an event of the gym just works, I rarely, I rarely use them, but you know, I got a young one last year. Can, Resist it, you know, oh, that's yeah. gorgeous, you know, and you do, that's what happens, isn't it? We're always kind of yeah. shiny, shiny, you know, where actually, you know, when I was growing up, anything I could get my hands on that I thought could possibly do the job, I would use it. And, um, and the next thing that came on for my Northwesterns was tricasts. Yeah. And they were just that, like, there was no way I was getting tricasts unless I got a job. You know, so yeah. that was my first earnings from that was a 12 foot one and three quarter, which was light years ahead of a, a one and three quarter glass rod because of the um, recovery. Yeah. And uh, and then I got 12 foot twos, which I bought for mate. I always remember it. I, I was, I got three of them and he charged me. It was a bit of a tight kit. They were a bit burned out, but I think he charged me a pound of rod. And, uh, and then I bought three one five fives off Tony Moore because I couldn't afford the 55. So I'd stopped making them. And like Delkin conversions, which were still the best buzzers, and yeah. arguably 55s were still the best reels because the engineering was so good and the yeah. was incredible. They were going for like £120 each, you know, in second-hand mm-hmm. stores and stuff like that, way, way before eBay eh, and all that kind of thing. So it was just that. Well, so I was still, you know, when I got the 155, that, that was good enough for me. And then not long after that, I got into uni and I just kind of, 
I, had to, I went to a one ride rucksack and I, I I got to know most of the waters in this area because I didn't have a car and I'd get the bus everywhere. I go, what's that? You know, because it'd be around the houses, everywhere I went. Comes behind houses, states, you know, all that stuff. You know, I ended up fishing short with Common. We used to call it the Del Monte Lake because of the, the bit, you know, the offices there. So yeah, yeah, it was it was it was good times really in hindsight. I didn't need to be doing weekends and that was very busy at uni. I was playing a lot. Uh so a rod a rod and a bag and a net was, was good enough. And I caught yeah. I caught quite a good amount, you know, because it's opportunists, isn't it? If yeah. you know how to stalk fish, if you know if you know how to sort shove out of a river, out of a little river, you catch a car. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you just mentioned there you were out playing, and and we, we can have a little bit of a, an, an interlude of, of the fishing to talk about music because you you are. I mean, I, 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 I get ready because there's a bit of smoke coming. So bend over. You're an exceptional drummer. Very much. Which is true. I did study it for five years. Uh, I did drum tech there. I'd already played for twelve years before I went to uni. The biggest shocking bit about uni was my drum teacher. I didn't know, I didn't, never heard of it because coming from Coventry, it was big fish, little ponds. Only knew a few bands, didn't know many good players, whether it was guitar players, bass players, drummers, or whatever. So all of a sudden, being immersed in a, in a college with 12 great drummers, uh, some of which were five years younger than me, was uh, was incredible. And my first of my drum teacher said, Sit down and play. So I played a bit, I thought, Yeah, that's all right. He said, Your, drum, your technique is really bad and I was just kind of upset and like hey thought who are you and he said I'll show you and he sat down and he, I just oh, couldn't believe it it was just my whole world came down you know he was brilliant and um, so like being the kind of like the, the hungry 23 year old I was I set about it and it took me three months to adjust my grip and I learned everything he showed me and, and I'm still grateful for it now yeah. and I went back to him a few years ago and um, he's, he's phenomenal he's one of the best in the country and I said, I want to learn that Mozambique. I could never do it at college. Like, there's two books, Funky Vine and Clave, which was Lincoln Gomez. Um, it was a couple of guys got together and they literally just got all the claves from South American music and just rocked them up, fucked them up. They said, thanks. But I could not do this Mozambique. And my mate Charlie could. It always annoyed me. So I went, <laughs> I purposely went back to see Paul. And strangely, you know, like anything, you kind of improve without even realising it, whether it's teaching, driving the car, writing a story, you know, and it's very incremental. And some things that you've always struggled with, all of a sudden, something's clicked and you should do it. So I, I was playing it within like five minutes. I thought, Christ, I've, I've really sort of come along in the sort of years I've left college with all the band products I've done since then, uh, without even really realising it, you know, and I suppose that's just age and maturity and whatever you're doing. But I'm glad I was doing it. I just wish Charlie was there. <laughs> yeah. Are you playing but, now? Um, yeah, so funny enough, um, I'm learning, well, I've almost learned six new tracks from my band's new album. And mm-hmm. um, we're doing our first gig in Worthing on the 18th of September because of lockdown. The last time we played was two years ago next month uh, when we wow. did a tour. And that two years is lost, isn't it? It doesn't yeah. feel like that. It's no, been no. lost for everybody. Yep. Um, it's like it doesn't. It's, it's like it didn't even exist in my life that whole lockdown thing. It was a good reset, I think, for nature, for uh, um, reevaluating what's important in life. You know, sadly I lost my dad last year, yeah. so I now do a four-day week in school, um, which is less money, but the time. It's all about time for me, and mm. um, that's irreplaceable. So you know, if I can get by 
without being at the grindstone as much as I must be taller than so be it, you know, I just can't buy it, can't buy it for anything. So so yeah, going back to the music, we we, we rehearse every pretty much every Tuesday. There's only two of us in this band. Uh, lots of backing tracks, so bass is all back track. There's loads of uh, harmonies. We still harmonise throughout every single song uh, between myself and Gary. And it just, it sounds amazing. Like, you know, we've got it studio produced by Matt Hyde, who did Slipknot and lots of other things. So from a rock band point of view, your sound check, a third of your sound is already produced. And if you know what you're doing, because we play within here, so everything's click tracked, um, you, you're sound checking like, five to ten minutes max and the, the engineers love it because then you get a five-piece band up and they're going can't hear the vocals mate you know we get up there bang we're done because we've got in here so we can't we just trust them but technology now is so that you know when i was touring sort of 20 years ago um it was a massive lottery whether you've got a good pa or not but there's not much excuse for not having a good pa now because the tech's so much better than it was mm. yeah brilliant and so what's your band called the survival code so we, this shows how different how things have changed in the industry. So we've got one single, which was my least favourite track off our last EP, which was our most successful, um, which says a lot about me. I've always been a bit left, you know, like kind of, it's all right, but it's a bit commercial. I much prefer that one. It's a bit mad, you know. And I'm just like that with everything, whether it's art or film or, you know, music, I'm always a bit, and it's the same with fishing. How many is in here? Four hundred acres, perfect. You know, that's yeah. a bit, bit sideways. And um, so <laughs> it's always been the way, you know. I think that's what held me back a lot, actually, through my young years of drumming, because I would just I wouldn't buckle, you know, I wouldn't compromise. I was always wanted the hardcore element or something that had something to say, you know. You wanted more than a snare and a bass. Exactly. I know. So that, that single off the last EP, um, it's had over 500,000 streams on Spotify. And the last video had 8,000 views within a fortnight, but still no deal. And it's 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 not even about being, uh, or I wouldn't say lucky, but being lucky to have the right thing at the right time counts for a lot, definitely. But it does seem to me, and it's no disrespect again to anybody, because it's easy to say, oh, in the old day, you know, it's so much better. And, but I really do believe for alternative music, you know, we have Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Public Enemy, Ride, uh, Radiohead. There was just a, a huge grab bag of influential bands for alternative music. And now it just seems to me that it's Ed Sheeran or Beyonce or Jay-Z. Not really much in between. You've only really got to look at um, the download lineup to see that. If you took out two-thirds of the download, download line, I mean, not on there. So what I'm talking about is, you know, your Iron Maiden, your Anthrax, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like when I went last time, even UFO were on. And um, well, you just think, oh, where's the nail go? Yeah, I was reading the other day that the, the quantity of new music compared to old music that's, that's currently being downloaded and... and it was an artist, and I can't remember who it was. It was just something, you know, I, I read the news on the iPad in the morning, and I scan through everything that's interesting, and, and you know, 1% of it sticks, um, or 1% of the information sticks. And, and, and this, this guy was saying that new music has almost finished. It's almost disappeared because people want to listen to what they know, and, and what they know is keeps being rehashed. You know, exactly. or, or, or rearranged, or or changed subtly in some way, and remastered, and and and, and people sample stuff, and yeah, it, it, which is, you know, when you think about it, 
that was, I, su- oh, I suppose, you know, it, it was the same back then, you know, Paul McCartney sang on Tall Sally and then, you know, and, and, and their version of money was a bit different from, from everybody else. And, and Ringo Starr's Matchbox wasn't quite the same as the original. So it, 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 go, it I goes... I know what you mean. Go- I know what you mean. But I way also before your time, those, by the way, way before your time. <laughs> but I do think that, you know, I miss, I miss seeing people walking down the street uh, and, you know, just looking at what they're wearing. They know you're, they're on your team, you know, or they're on your yeah. side. Does that make sense? So, you know, when I was growing up, you see, so I used to go to Birmingham a lot because Coventry was a bit more narrow. Yeah. Just because it was smaller. So if I went to Birmingham to buy a record and I saw some Gandhi t shirt, whatever, I'd be like, I know I can have a drink with that man. You know, yeah. so it's a bit like fishing, isn't it? All strains, yeah. all walks of life. Doesn't matter, you know, I, can't, I think I think as my wife said once, we went out of the couple and I was dead boring. And I was so bored, I was monumentally bored. And the more bored I got, the more I drank. And the more I drank, the more I got drunk, and the more kind of a bit obstinate I became. To the point <laughs> where I went up the book to get some cigarettes when I was to smoke. It's well out of order. And when I came back, they were leaving. And um I actually hid behind a car, but I did it so obviously that I just looked like a pencil lineman. I said, what, what's he doing? And I just kind of hid. And then I looked up again. They all just stood in the drive looking at me about 50 yards away. I thought, I've done that really badly. And uh, it was mortifyingly embarrassing. So she looked telling me the story in the morning. But I just said, like, you know, they were just really boring. And she yeah. said, sorry, if he was an angler, it wouldn't have mattered, it wouldn't have mattered if he'd have eaten dead babies for a breakfast and gone with him then. <laughs> you should have worn camo. But, you know, it's that, that's kind of um, that tribal thing, isn't it? That's why I used to look at Glastonbury or, you know, Reading or the other sort of um, smaller festivals because it's a weekend of being around people that you know are like you. Yeah. And, uh, and that sadly is very, very much missing now. You've only got to look at the lineups in the old alternative festivals like Reading and that's very much of a commercial thing. Um, it's just the way it's gone. And I suppose commerciality has has come via exposure. And and 40 years ago, an underground band was exactly that. It was underground until it broke. But now bands can break themselves on YouTube and and the right person watches it. And there's another million watching it the next day. And then exponentially, that number just keeps growing. Whereas, you know, how many many years did Wilco Johnson play for anybody knew who he was? You know, yeah. It, it, it's that, that, you know, I'm really showing the age. I'm going to have to show up in a minute. Um, <laughs> but back, back to fishing now. You're, you're kind of the fish you like to catch. I'll, I'll, for want of a better word, I'll call them your target fish. They must yeah. be increasingly more difficult to find because like the same with music and unknown bands, everybody knows, someone knows, the unknown fish. And I know you like to catch fish that are either rarely or never caught, or haven't been caught for a long time, and may or may not still exist, even in the water you're, you, you, where they used to be. And how difficult, I mean, you, you mentioned you're now fishing a gin clear lake that's got somewhere between nine and 20 fish. Now, the reason it's got between nine and 20 fish is because nobody's caught them all. No, it's, there's still a, 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 still a little bit of mystery in there. I know that the, what, there's one chap there that's had a, he's had a 42 pound common. Uh, he has seen other fish of a similar size t- together. Um, he did some time on there last year and, and then just kind of thought, oh, God, this will do me kind of thing. And it was great to meet him because I'd heard rumours, and um, it was only when 
he actually introduced himself to me and said, oh, whilst he was on his way to another water and so don't see many people fishing here. And um, and I said, all oh, right, mate, you know, chatting away. I'm pretty amiable. I'm not one of these kind of like, oh, more miserable, you know, don't no, talk yeah. to me. I'm just not like that. We, do, we, and, know, uh, people. we know people like that. that. We know that. <laughs> we do lots of people like that, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I said, I've heard about this fish, and he went, yeah, I caught that. And I thought, oh, great breakthrough, you know, and he sent me a photo and, it's all true so that's nice i mean i'm i don't like fishing for ghosts i'll never no. just go on the water and just hope for the best i like to kind of have some kind of a lead um but it it, it does have to be quiet you know and if it's not quiet it's just not for me i don't like fish with first names middle names and surnames no. you know when we were growing up they all had that because there were so few of them yeah your puzzles and your headers and your black mirrors and yeah you know, all those fish from those days, I've known because there just weren't many, you know, so fair enough. Ever so we've all fished them. Clarissa was probably yeah. the first famous, yeah. which was named Ravioli by Dick Walker, but London Zoo didn't like the name, so they called it Clarissa. And after that, carp started right. getting names, which is one of, can either be the best thing that's happened, because it helps identify them, or the right. worst thing that happens, because suddenly anthropomorphism rears its ugly head and they yes. become she and objects of desire and have funerals and and and, and that kind of thing which i find i find a, I, I, I find that a little bit a little bit can i say the word weird because i know some of the people that i know that, that are into that are not in the least bit weird i've had wrangles with myself uh Often, even you know, recently and more so, I don't know what it, I have like pangs of guilt um, for doing what I'm doing, and uh, it, you know, like we, I don't know whether it's getting an older thing, but um, you think, God, that fish is just trying to have something to eat, you're gonna stick a hook in its face, you know, if you look yeah. at it in the actual brass tacks, that's what you're doing. Oh, yeah, so part, part of my justification because I could never go to a, a Thorpley or a or a, or a Draycott, or a Drayton, or a Boddington, you know, the way that it is now, or a, anywhere that's commercial, just not for me. I, I understand why people do it, but my justification is that if I fish somewhere, I'm going to maybe catch one or two a year, I, it, it balances out the, the kind of guilt that I feel for trying to put a bit of metal in that wild animal space yeah. while I was trying to get to eat, because as I get older, I get a bit, I'm getting a bit more conscientious. I don't think I'll ever stop fishing, but I have these kind of, I think part of it, uh, because I never feel that way about roach and stuff, because they're so rare and hard to catch, you know. But I think if you, I was quite not not glad because that carp talk ended from a, a company point of view, but glad that it ended from a saturation point of view. Mm. Um, when something's not uh, as special anymore, it's done to death. By proxy, it's not as interesting. Yeah, there's nothing more boring than looking at page after page after page after page of people holding fish and that yeah. for me is weird yeah and i feel weird for what do i sit holding a bloody cart for and look at this isn't this great you know nick kelly's podcast for a cord was brilliant you know because he's very pragmatic about that look at me aren't i great i fold a fold of fish that all it does is eat and shit sorry but yeah. you know that's and that's, pro that's no, true. and propagate that's that's all they do that's the only three things they're if we eat poo and propagate well let's eat and propagate because the other thing happens yeah. because 
because of one. So yeah, because the other one. So yeah, that, that's that's quite true. That is, you know, and and and, and it gets to me a bit now with, with the anthropomorphism I mentioned, where where now you've got to have several different kinds of carp care kits and 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 the right kind of cradle. And God forbid you should lay a fish on eighteen inches thick, wet, damp grass right next to the river. The worst thing you can possibly do. Yet you're quite happy to stick a size two curve shank in the corner of its gob, and and that. And I, and I actually point that out sometimes. I know I shouldn't, but occasionally it gets to me so much that I have to point that out to them, that the reason why Absolutely. you need a carp care, care kit is because you've just stuck an inch and a half of metal into its chops and then dragged it out of its natural environment. And it, that's, that's where I think if there is any risk to angling, and I don't believe there is because angling is such a, a great sport, entertainment, enjoyment um, for, for so many people that, we can justify doing what we do because of all the other stuff we do to help us stick inch and a half of metal into their chops. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I've got no guilt or qualms or, or anything about going fishing myself. I, 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 you know, if, if a fish I catch accidentally dies, then I feel really terrible. I really, even if it's a tiny little perch that one of my people I'm fishing with at, at North Hallowfields, gets on fishing, has, has left the float for too long, they've not seen it and they've come in this boat and, and you, you take its hook out with the most careful disgorge you've got in a lovely, terribly named, but a very good slamo disgorge. You've taken the hook out. And as you take it out, there's blood on the maggot. And as far as I'm concerned, that fish is, a, it might not be, but as far as I'm concerned, and, and I, feel, I, I get pangs of guilt about that. But I do know that explaining to that young person what's happened will help them not do it again and will make them look after the fish better next time. So, yes, I, I, can, I can justify all of it. What I can't justify are the map police and the cradle police and the, 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 the carp care police. I can't justify that. But, but I, another thing, you know, I, I see, we, we match anglers get blamed for a lot of mouth damage on fish through ripping the hooks out. That's nonsense. You put a hook in a carp, dead carp's mouth, stand on it and try and rip that hook out. You're not going to rip its lip off, and and, and and you know I've got the I've got the view that their hooks fish that are hooked on inadequate tackle or badly tied tackle the hook is broken off or or the knot comes undone the hook stays in their jaw forms an abscess and the skin rots away that's that's how most mouth damage is caused in my opinion so I'm not in the least bit po yeah. about that but and, and I. I Fish care to me is absolutely paramount, but I don't need someone to tell me how to do it. And nor do you. Uh, nor think, do you know, yeah, absolutely agree with all of that. And, um, you know, my, you know, my friend Richie McDonald, the great Richie McDonald. <laughs> yeah. Our friend. He rightly, yeah, he rightly says, and I totally with him on this, that the most damage carp can cause is when it spawns. Yeah. And we've all seen it. You know, I've seen some horrendous damage on fish. That have lived in lakes with concrete sided banks and yeah. never going to be bashed around anywhere near as much from an angler unless it dropped. Um, on the ground, on the ground. Yeah. Because I watched some fish carp being spawned into a lake the other day from an aeroplane, which, which was quite interesting. In, in a lake in America, they were actually dropping them like a shoot from an aeroplane. And you watch even trout being stocked, and trout are far more fragile than carp. A tanker pulls up at the side of the lake, a chute comes out, exactly the same as you dispense concrete. And the carp had tumbled down the chute, and they're fine, uh, the trout rather, and they'll swim away. And, you know, you watch carp, when carp are stuck, you get a big bucket full of them, and into the lake they go. So, yes, 
we, we obviously want to treat them with the greatest respect and care as we possibly can. Having them out in the water for 10 minutes with buckets being poured over them while we take their photo 93 times from every angle isn't necessarily <laughs> great fish care. But anyway, let, let, get off get off of that. We, we, we've done that. <laughs> um, and and we, we're talking about catching special fish. And the special fish you've spoken about haven't been caught for X years. Y years. John Gard has caught the same carp out the Thames at the end of my road here eight times. And he's caught it being between six pounds and 26 pounds. And the last time he caught it, it was 23 pounds. And there was, I think he worked out, it was a 25-year gap between the first and the last capture. Amazing. And, and then in and a very recognisable, very unusually scaled mirror it was. And we've seen, I know that, that Terry Hearns caught a carp down here and another guy's caught exactly the same carp on the lee. Now, and it wasn't big enough to have been, nobody's going to take it from the Thames to the lee. It somehow swum there. So anyway, so yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty hardy creatures. So um, let's see, we've spoken about music. Spoken about, what's... This is an unusual question. It's not someone I've asked anybody before, but I'm going to ask you because of, because of the way you fish. If you, out of the two things, and I know there are things that are more important than both of these, but to you, which is it, rigs or bait? It's a good question. I would say bait. I would. Um, and the reason I'd say that is because... <sighs> And this all comes into the, hook, the, the, the big hook sharpening um, debate as well. Um, I've done it. I've sharpened hooks more that have gone blunt after I've got them out of the packet because I was too lazy to change the rig, so I'd sharpen them up there. I'm not, I don't know, I'm not a hook sharpener, I have to say. You know, um, I get them out of the packet, good enough. Uh, but there again, I'm not fishing, you know, I'm fishing where no, no other anglers are. And as long as I know that my hook is coping, with whatever's on the bottom, in other words, if there's lots of gravel and I'm not fishing the straight point, then I'm fairly confident that that hook's going to be fine until the fish takes it, you know, and I'm not catching many, so that's probably all right for me. Whether it needs you need to have that extra sort of um, bit of sharpness there when there's other anglers and you're trying to get that extra cut in the fish a bit, I don't know, a bit more riggy than maybe, but not not for me. I mean, if I if I could, people ask with similar sort of, if you only have one bait in the world, what would it be? Bread all day long. Yeah, you know, but that's the sort of angler I am, you know, because I fish for everything. But for me, it's the most versatile bait no, that there ever no, was. No. If you fish for everything, mate, it's got to be worms because you ain't going to catch many perch on bread. I did catch well, one on. A, <laughs> I did catch one on a tear a couple of weeks ago, and also wow. a pike, fairly hooked, little dig, hit it, pike, middle of the top lip on a tear from the Thames. So. Yeah, never done. I've never done the pike before. I can't remember if I've done the perch before. I don't think I've. I've caught the odd perch on bread. Um, I've, but then again, I've caught them on bear hooks and I've caught them on split shot when I've been plumbing the depth on the canal. As well. <laughs> and then I had another plumbed up before the match with a split shot and caught a perch, and then not had a bite for the rest of the match. And, and I've had to obviously have to try it back because it's before the start. So, so bait and 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 do you do you have certain demands of your bait with regards to quality do you use only frozen bait only fresh bait bait you can't I only, I, I, by choice it would always be frozen bait um we had uh, a, a freezer but i ended up giving it away because we we had a rough conversion and the, the little room wanted to be more of a spare room and it was in there and it was humming away like a like an old bloody war's at you know so um, you it had to when you open. yeah 
so I'm, I, I don't really have any qualms about using shelf life. The quality is so much better now. The preservatives are so much better. They're nowhere near as bitter. Uh, you know, like some of the, the several companies that I use and, um, can't really fault it, you know. Um, my, the acid test for me is taste, though. If I, if I try a shelf life and it, it doesn't taste right, I won't use it. Um, I have to have that confidence. I've always been a boy eater. That goes right back to the early days where, you know, I just, you know, I always remember the shelf life too, fruities and that, and they just tasted horrible compared to the frozens because they were just full of that bitter chemical that kept them yeah. alive for three I can't years. remember the name of it. Um, sodium benzate. That's it, mate. Yeah, sodium that, benzate. That, that is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah and it's we just tried, horrible. Well, I did it with casters. I preserved casters using it, which were, you know, to sell. Right. And, and I, I remember when um, Richworth came out with the first shelf life boilie, and, and I was working in Act with Acton Angling Centre, but I wasn't in the Acton branch. I was in the um, in the Hammersmith branch, and, and and lovely Clive Dietrich, rest his soul, went into the shop with the samples. And my boss, Jimmy Miles, is a bit of a character. And he said, oh, we've got these new boilies, Jim. So, you know, you won't, we've got, because Richworth put the fridges in, didn't they? Richworth actually put yeah, the fridge yeah. with, the, with the freezer in with the boilies. They were the first ones with, with it. He said, we've got these shelf life ones now. They're brilliant. He said, look, I don't want anything with preservatives in. I said, no, they're brilliant. Look, they, they <laughs> out and Jim went, well, let's have a look. He went, <laughs> oh, that's horrible. He said, well, you picked up the one that we call caster juice, and I picked up some... <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that, that was, that, that, that's, that's my one and only shelf life boily story. But, yeah, as you say, the quality of bait has, 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 has gone up. And if you want a hard bait... There's no excuse for using a poor bait now. There isn't. There's too many good ones out there. It's not rocket cement. You yeah. know, if you can... I love a bit of cooking, you know, and I can spend much more time getting into that baiting. It was something that I, I didn't really um, get heavily into. I had too many of the mates that were really heavily into it. And I trusted them, you know, so your Tony Parkers, for instance, incredible. Yeah. Johnny Cooper, uh, John Cope, you know, going back in time. They were all brilliant at it. So that was good enough for me. I hated rolling boilers as well. I hated it. <laughs> it was like... Uh, <laughs> For me, like rolling baits is like making the bed when you when you go up and you realise the bed's not been made. You know, honestly, it's nothing worse. Yeah, How anyone get, get, get I just not for me. You know, so yeah, you make it. I mean, going game, back yeah, to, exactly the same as but it was unmade. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, going back to your question, you know, bait or reeds, there's got to be a balance, hasn't there? Uh, for instance, you know, if I'm fishing big bits of spam for barbell, I want a long shank hook, you know, because I like to pull it through with a string and needle and push the shank up the bait so I know it's going to stay on. If I'm fishing floaters, I want a wide gate, you know. Um, if I'm fishing cheese paste, I want a wide gate because I love to counterbalance it with the court ball or something like mm -hmm. that. So it's definitely a bit hand in hand. But, you know, back to the old days again, we had our shortest Jack Hilton's and all the handles, that was it. Um, when I've got to say, when you had much much less choice, it was so more, it was so much more easy to concentrate on fishing. Yeah, <laughs> and the jack hooks, like you know, you, you, oh, we, we, it was much easier to learn about watercraft because you could only wonder about that and that and that, and that's it. Yeah. So then you learned more about fishing, didn't you? And now you kind of, if I came to it now, I wouldn't know what to do. It'd be no. just it'd be bamboos in it. Yeah. Well, you, well, if you wanted to do it like that, you could ju just walk into the shop and say, oh, I'm going to Willow Park, mate, tomorrow. I, I need a carp set up. 
And the bloke could go, oh, there's yeah. two rods or three rods and there's a couple of bait runners and there's some line and, and there's all the rigs you'll ever need and there's a dozen leads. <laughs> Come back tomorrow for another dozen because they're special drop-off rigs. And, and, <laughs> and all away. that's out of hand, isn't it? It's out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, that, was only, that only ever came about if you were only ever going to one or two fish a year. And they were so hard won those takes, you know, that you wanted the lead to come off because of the weed and you didn't want to leave anything to chance, you know, that, that might cost you that fish. But you see it all the time, don't you? You've seen people yeah. getting market floats out at 10 yards and that, you know, and it's just like, what, what, what's happening? <laughs> you know, where's this, where is the, where's the skill gone? I mean, I'd love to get, I don't want to see that clock hangers, you know, any, any I, I suppose, you know, because not people that shout, I don't know if we've talked about, look what I've got, look what I've caught and all that. Again. All right then, go and catch me two pound roach. Go and catch me a roach out of the wonder. Any yeah. roach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was yeah. the hardest fishing I ever had in my life. And it was absolute yeah. pollution to be fair. But I only had three. And I missed so many bites. I was talking to Garth Edelson about this the other day. And uh, he was the same. He said, that I won't turn the word to yes. <laughs> but it's true. I mean... How can you miss a rod wrenching bite on a quarter ounce tip and 15 gram feeder? It's just unfathomable when you're trying every inch of it. I was having that many bites, I was trying every increment of the bite itself to see if I could yeah. contact this fish. And in hindsight, you know, I could have probably caught more on the stick flow, but I was working. So I could only ever be there at night. But if, if I had to take off a chub, uh, an eel, a barbel, or a little carp, I'd look them every time. Yeah, but these ropes, different, you know, so different ball games together. I've been today, I've been with a group from, from Merton today, people in, in rehab, and, and we've taken them, they, they could all fish, and we've taken them to North Alla, uh, to, again, to the Charities Lakes, and unbelievably, we've got some roach in there that go well over a pound, and they were stocked in 2014 at like three or four ounces, and, and wow. I, I, I didn't catch any big ones today, but you get bites and you know they're roach, and I'm fishing with a tiny pole float that takes three number eight shot on a whip. And the float goes under and the line goes tight to the end of the whip, but there's nothing there. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, they've, they've done me. And, and you can get 100 bites hemping before you hook one. Maybe dace are trickier than roach on the bite, but that's a completely different story. So uh, you, you mentioned about your other fishing. You, you, when you stop your carp fishing, you'll then go on home for chub and I know you've had some good barbel and, 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 and other fish. So yeah, so so your other species that you fish for as you, you mentioned you mentioned big perch. Yeah. I mean we were phenomenally lucky about that with that perch thing, weren't we, at the time. Yeah. I mean it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing because I mean, it was brilliant, first of all, but uh when I was in the perch fishers and you had to report every fish over two pounds. Yeah. And Steve Burke said to me, how many two pound fish have you caught? And I said, I honestly don't know. And he just thought I was being out of order. Yeah. <laughs> not not that, because I wasn't telling him. He thought he must have thought it was the most big headed perch I would ever met. But once they realised what I was catching and what John was catching and what Phil was catching, it was a different yeah. story. And it turned into a Wi Fi down there. Yeah. Didn't it? Yeah. It was ridiculous. And the, you know, the, if someone turned up on it, they could hear the speedboats coming up the Buddy River. Yeah. You know, and if you were in the spot, they'd lay down it in the river and go further. It would just go out of hands. But that was the best perch fishing I will ever know. John phoned me one day and he was in his favourite swim and he said, uh, you're home, mate. You, know, you, you answer, you don't say hello, mate. You're right. You're home. Yeah. Come <laughs> come, can you come down and take a photo? So where he was fishing, I'll get to on my bike from here. So I got on my bike. He said, I've got a three. It's in the net, in, a, in his hand in there, because he never used a kit. Well, 
he didn't use a key for me. So I said, yeah, all right, mate. So I pedaled down and he went, I won't believe this. So I've got another one in there. I said, he said, yeah, two, three. He said, hang on, what? And while I was there, he fought and landed another one. And I've got, I've got a photo of those, three, 14, three, 10 and a half. And I think three, four, I think. And I've got a picture of him holding him in his, you know, along his forearms down at, at where we caught where he caught from. And and yeah, that, that, that was a, that was astonishing. He had 49, he had 49 that day. And I think he had, he only had, only <laughs> had the three threes. And I think 29 of them were twos or bigger. There you go. So, I mean, hundreds of Trotting pounds, with lobworm. Trotting yeah, that's with lobworm. That's exactly how I caught all my big ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The biggest one I had uh, on a live bait was 3.9, yeah. which was on, uh, was on a good gin. And uh, sorry about that to, <laughs> to everybody, anybody who loves good gin, but there you go. Um, and all, the four, all the four pounds have run worm. With yeah. maggot feed over the top, tried, yeah, yeah, and all got out by hand. Yeah, apart from when I was on the angler's bank, but when I was on the other particular bank, we get that way, they're not there anymore. No, but um, I, yeah, getting them up, up to your waist in, in, the, in the waders and getting them out by hand was just so exciting. I mean, that yeah. big one last day of the season, penultimate cast, I fished out of what we call the hot spot, and um, I had a 310 and I think 12 twos and a few one pounders. And I let the float go out the crease and I put it down the river and it got about 30 yards down, right at the end, and it buried. I hit this fish and I thought, that's a chub. Uh, so I was, wasn't really, I was using that fender reel, that real stretch match line, brilliant yeah. line, fantastic, even on a pound and a quarter rod. Awesome. I mean, you get a fish under your rod and the float would be in front of your face and you could see it stretching three or four yeah. inches as a fish was lunging. Brilliant yeah. stuff. Anyways, I was playing this fish and I was giving it big and a bit really. And then this dorsal came out of the water and I just couldn't believe it. It just looked like a bloody yacht. And, uh, <laughs> and I took a, my heart went, my legs went, you know, and um, I played it up out in front of me and it came into my side and I just grabbed it for all I was worth. And not really tightly, but and it fall all the way into the bank it did. Uh, and all the time I was thinking, that is ridiculous. And the same fan, John, goes, you want to come and have a look at this? It's, and Phil had had a 4.11 the winter before, and it was 4.12. And he went, he, he went, F me, he went, two records in a year. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same year as the common, like, you know, back in the summer. Yeah. The year before, but, cool, yeah, like, that was a great season. But um, it was interesting. I mean, we were talking about you and, and that time, actually, because I was at the, uh, the pub with Colin Brandon and, and, and Richard Hodgkinson and John last Wednesday. And... Uh, we were having a good laugh about it all, you know, and, and just about how fantastic that, that period in our lives was. Yeah. That's like 16 years ago, if you believe it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got, I've, I've, got, I've got a picture of John with his 518 as well that he had. Uh, oh, that's the ultimate. I mean, to put it into context, so I'm teaching, so I'm getting up there as much as I can, but it's tidal dependent. You know. Yeah. I had 33 pounders. Yeah. And five four pounders. Yeah. John had 99 three pounders. 99 threes. He's still on 99. I know. And they died out before he got his last yeah. one. Yeah. I think there's, there's one. And there's, there's, some, there's some big fish he'll, around in the river now. He'll get, he'll get one, mate. Definitely. Yeah. Um, when he tries, then, Yeah. Yeah. I hope it really open does. But, you know, that was that was the joy of it, really. You know, him, him having the kind of flexibility with his, 
with his cab driving or whatever, you know. So yeah. it was, I'd be gritting my teeth at work, you know, and he'd go, I've had another one, I've had another one, <laughs> you know. And then that, that five pounder was just the yeah, absolute yeah. ice on the cake, incredible, absolutely incredible. He had a 411, didn't he? A 411 and a bit, I think. He did. And then he had the five one on a feeder. Got it feeder That's right. And he, he, he phoned up uh, Colin, didn't he, and said, you know, can you come down? So, Colin, what you've had told him. And he said, oh, do you mind, Colin? said, do you mind if I bring the rods? <laughs> and I said, like, to be honest with you, if I'd had a five-pound perch, mate, I'd have said, you can bring all your rods, like, you know, yeah. after that. And Colin had three four-pounders, didn't he? Three four-pounders, yeah. Colin had. Yeah. 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 Side oh, by I, side. I mean, what a session. That's, an, that, that's that, I've got, I always make a little crib list of questions. And, and what you've just said sort of, hints towards my final question, but it, it's referring more to carp. And, and I'm, I'm going back to the carp thing, and I know you've caught some huge barbel and chub, and, and, and I'm, I'm jealous of every one. But going back to the carp question, do you think there is ever a fish that when you've caught it, you can say, that's it, the rods are going on eBay? I absolutely hope so, Keith. You know, my friend <laughs> Jay said, didn't he, that time, Sitting in a freezing cold like the jungle of other Yeah, that's yeah. just a perfect answer, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Um, but I think there will be. And every time I want to do that, it coincides with the carp thing in spring. Now we can fish for them. But uh, in terms for the younger listeners, the kind of close season thing. But um, now that lockdown was kind of easy for me because I was disappointed, but I thought, well, that's nothing that I wasn't used to before. Um, but will I ever, ever, ever hang them up? I definitely prefer being outside than the actual fishing now, if that makes sense. I mean, of course I love the fishing, but if I'm not outside, even if it's for one night a week, um, not so much in the winter, but, you know, I just, just so wondering myself when I'm outside mm. all night. And it's, the fishing's almost like a secondary aspect now i'm still there i'm still good in you know i had a couple of nice sporties last year um after lockdown amazing i think i can show you but well i can't i won't bother showing you because no one else can see it because only you and i can see each other um but you know that the 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 title i wanted for my book which was 2014 i'm not plugging it i don't even know if it's any for sale anymore the title i wanted for it became the subtitle because the publishers wouldn't accept the title i wanted which was the best excuse for loafing in the countryside yeah, because fantastic. I've always, con- I coined that phrase donkey's years ago. I started fishing with blues in 99, so it would have probably been a year or two after that because I know I was definitely at Hatfield, Hatfield at the, the second studio, the Oxford Street studio was where we started. And, and I remember coining it, the, the, the best excuse for loafing in the countryside. And, and, and it is, it is, the, the, you know, what else would you go out there for? Exactly. And, I, you know, I, I love that seasonal... I'm, 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 the spring is my favourite. I just love that rejuvenation. It sounds a bit kind of, what do you call it, cliche, but, you know, when the old hawthorns start pinging out and then the willows start coming and everything, it's that whole sort of, that's exciting for me, especially yeah. if I've got a water in mind, you know. I get a bit more frustrated from a time point of view because I want you know, I know I haven't got that time, so it's 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 really precious, you know, to yeah. one night a week. I know some of the my friends are out there three or four nights a week, you know, to learn to do it, but... Um, I know people are out three or four weeks a month. I mean, I actually couldn't do it. I mean, I, I did, I've had spurts over my life, as you know, like, you know, I was fishing in the cone, trying to get a big barbell out of the cone at Stan, uh, Stanwell Moor for probably about three or four winters, you know, going back in 
Yeah, the best I was nine pounds. I couldn't, yeah. you know, I couldn't quite do it. They were, they were very localised then. And I got really obsessed with it to the point where I just thought, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Yeah. I had to stop for that, that season. And like even last winter, you can see very easy to lose your mojo, isn't it? And it just doesn't yeah. take much to break the spell. It's a bit like, um, you know, when I stop carp fishing, I find it really difficult, you know. So I have to get a chub rod out. One evening's chub fishing, even if I don't catch anything, watching that tip, I'm done then. I'm good for the next season, you know. Yeah. And um, it's not like that with, with, with everything for me. Uh, and last winter when I was on the coal, I fished really hard for January. It's December and January. Uh, so it gets right, January, February. And I didn't fish the last two weeks of season. Sounds mad, yeah. but I just, I think I would one, I was one evening, I was really busy at work. And I thought, oh, I'll do, you know, just my fishing, I just went. Yeah, uh, but it's you know it's for me music fishing. It's always been got the drone yeah. on, got the fishing head on. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's ridiculous having two things that take arguably a lot of time. But I think um, my 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 sort of pop tenure has come into a bit of an end. I think you know I think about fishing a lot more than I do about playing drums these days. But I still love drumming. Yeah, I did a scar wedding the other week, and it was just oh. old, old college mates with their old guitar band. Yeah. We had one rehearsal the night before, 30 tracks, played a blinder, um, so all good. Yeah, um, that's your old commentary yeah, coming so... out now, the Scar, because, you know, commentary was one of yeah. the, the hotbeds of Scar back in the day, wasn't it? In the 80s, 90s, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I one, of the, one of the youngest yeah. Reed boys going, I think it was like eight with the Harrington and I had all the loafers and everything. You know, that was my first kind of look. I've got a yeah. music outfit on, looks, yeah. you know, the tie. And, and then my dad made them me um, Deep Purple in Rock and Rush and... Then settling, yeah. and that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, mate, I've enjoyed our chat. It's just, it's, it's time to shuffle off. I don't want to get every, every, anybody bored with listening to me. They won't get bored listening to you, but me on the other hand is a different story. It, it's been fantastic talking to you, mate. It really has. And I'll say this to everybody because everybody else talking is me, mate. You know, I'm, 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 I'm a bit picky. That's for lot, likewise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, it, I, I miss seeing people. I, I can't get out as much as I used to. You know the reason why. It's, it's difficult for me to get out. I do. So, so this is fishing by proxy. Well, we must try and get out. I mean, I, I was saying yeah. this last week. To, to, sorry, just to uh, to extend even further, but carry on. I think the whole I think the whole lockdown thing made us all a bit more introverted and yeah. lazy when it comes to going out. I just don't go out. You know, I've got got very into that kind of off license thing and sit for the tally or do a bit of fishing on my own. And um, when we went out last Wednesday with John and Matt came down from Birmingham, I thought it's a perfect opportunity to uh, yeah. to uh, to get together because they know Matt as well. Matt's a terrific angler. I mean, phenomenal. Again, fishes are for everything. He's, he's, he's ridiculous. He's the sort of guy that will fish a float all day on the ooze. Have one bite and it's a seven-pound chub, but it's that determination, you know. He's exactly the same with darts, driving him mad. You know, one eight is every sort of thing. He was a county player, he got diatitis, but he's still phenomenal, you know, he's driving nuts. But the point is, we got to the pub and we had such a good night. We were just barely laughing. And you know what John's like, he's in his element. Oh, yeah. You know, he's a great storyteller, isn't he? And we just sort of sat about, we all told him a few stories, but we are just watching him. And he's like, took, took centre stage, you know, all his face pulling and jokes having. And I just said, like, you know, God, why don't we do this? We always say, why don't we do it more? But we should make the effort. He, he, he knows a large portion of the worst jokes in the world, but he's just very, very good at telling them. 
Exactly. It makes a massive difference. <laughs> we might be saying, tell us about the horse. Tell us about the horse in Canada. Yeah. And he up that bloody cart, didn't he, on sweet corn. He said it came past him three times. He thought, I don't want to up that. You know, I've got eight pound line or whatever it was. And he, and he upped it, didn't he? He said it had an eye like a horse. And uh, it's just a way of pulling these, girding these faces. And it went and took the rod round to the butt and stripped him. Yeah. About 100 yards of line, and that was the end of that. It's just something I can do. It's like, it's like a quake where you have to maybe yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, 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 if I know he's down the river, I still go down almost every morning to do my wife's pony and, and sort of pick the crap up and, and, and give it some uh, re- something to, to recycle into that crap. And which is then recycled into worms, which was in Tide Fest comes up next weekend. I'll have a bucket full of in case there's any bream left. Um, well, I'll tell you what, Keith. Then why, why don't we let's, let's let's get out on the boat, shall we? You know, um, over the autumn give, and uh, give an half a chance. Yeah, if, if we get when get let's get a drop more water down. Let's get some. Uh, let's get the river right, mate. And, and when you're on holiday from school or whatever, and um, yeah, it's it's a long time since I went on holiday, went fishing with someone who was on holiday from school. That'll be uh, <laughs> that'll be brilliant. <laughs> Simon, listen, it's really been, as I said, a huge pleasure talking to you. And uh, we have this sort of conversation before without being without it being recorded. Um, and there's, there's a, Yeah, and, and uh, we, we will have to do it again, as you say. We will have to get out fishing together because that will be a, a treat and an honour for me. Yeah. All right, Likewise, mate. Keith. Much obliged, mate. Pleasure. Well, what a chat that turned out to be. Looks like I'll be sharing a different boat with Simon Hartop in the not-too-distant future. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and if you have, please tell your friends about our strange boat, and don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. I'll be back with a different crew soon, so keep in touch, and don't forget, we have a website now with all our previous recordings available at a simple click on the keyboard. Just type Strange Boat Podcast in your search engine, and you'll find it there. So, until next time, thanks for listening. And if you're an angler, tight lines. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street Podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.